All right, let's turn in our Bibles tonight to 1 Kings chapter 17, and we'll look at some other places beyond that. Uh, we are in the life of Elijah, and uh, we started this study, I think, last week. We set the stage and kind of laid out what was going on, so we'll review just a little bit as we begin. Uh, we're, we're down a little bit in numbers today. People are fighting the illness that's going around, but we're not discouraged. We're still here. Jesus said, we're two or three are gathered in my name. I'm in the midst, and uh, we would rather have him, do, have him gathered in the midst of three or four hundred, but we'll be happy with what we have tonight. And, uh, and uh, know that there are others who are able to watch online. I know some who called in and said they weren't able to come in, but they would be watching online today. So uh, I hope that you who are watching online are able to download the notes. I was not able to send them out like I normally do because of a technical difficulty, but Pastor Kelly was able to attach them to the Vimeo feed uh, for the live stream tonight. And uh, perhaps you can get that and uh, follow along from home. I'm sorry you don't have those here. I hope that's an encouragement for you to try to make it in here so you can get the notes uh, regularly uh, when we put these things out. So we're studying the life of Elijah. And uh, the idea here is living in the light of eternity. Elijah was one of those great and powerful prophets of God that accomplished a great deal for the Lord. And it's, uh, and it's all because he had the right focus. He, when, when he, you'll see in this lesson tonight, when he got his eyes off of the idea that life is short and got to thinking about trying to preserve his life rather than, than invest his life in the cause of, uh, in the Lord's cause, uh, he got discouraged. And when we keep our eyes and our focus on the Lord and we recognize that God has given us a life to use for him while we are here, and to prepare for eternity that follows afterwards, then we can be much more effective in the work of the Lord. So that's what we're looking at tonight, living in the light of eternity, recognizing the brevity of life on earth. Now the stage we set last week talks about the pluralism that was taking place in Elijah's days. Remember what pluralism is. Pluralism, again, is the idea of Every religion, every belief system, every philosophy is okay. We will accept you however you are, and everything's fine. And uh, you have your truth, I have my truth, somebody else has their truth, and the truth doesn't matter because there is no real truth. That's the idea of pluralism. And the only people that are not really accepted are people who speak the truth from the Word of God, like Elijah did, and uh, he was one who was not really well accepted in the day of Elijah. Now, if you remember right, there were three different religious systems that were taking place, or they were, they were being participated in, in the northern kingdom of Israel. Remember, the kingdom had been divided because of Rehoboam's foolishness. And Jeroboam set up golden calves at Dan and Bethel, down in the southern part, of the northern kingdom of Israel, and those golden calves were stated to be the gods that delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt, and they were the God of Israel that they were to worship. So that was an idolatrous thing, worshiping an idol, when God had told the children of Israel, all of them, to worship him at his holy temple in Jerusalem, which happened to be in the southern kingdom, and Jeroboam and those who followed him 
didn't want them going to the southern kingdom because they were at war with the southern kingdom. So they established their own religion. But then along the way came the second god that we we're going to talk about. It's the god Baal. Now Baal, I read a little bit more about him, and he's called a lot of different things. He's called the Lord of the Flies. He's called several things. But one thing that is true about Baal is, is from what I, what I was able to study, is that he was supposed to be the god who controlled the rain. It's very interesting when you think of the life of Elijah. Baal was the god who was supposed to control rain. He was also depicted as a god who held a thunderbolt in his hand. So he was in charge of not only the rain, but the lightning that would cause fire. Interesting, very interesting, especially when you get into the life of Elijah. So we have this god, Baal, and Ahab now has become the king of the northern kingdom. He's done more wicked than any other king ahead of him. And then he marries Jezebel, who also brings it. Well, she was the one who really ushered in the Baal worship. She came down from the northern, uh, north of Israel, from the land of Zidon. And uh, she was a, a, a Gentile queen, a wicked queen, queen who hated God. And, uh, but at the same time now, you have Baal, who's supposed to be a male god... And then you have Asherah, who's supposed to be a female goddess. So Jezebel worships the male god. Ahab allows the worship of Asherah, the female goddess. And all of it was involving, the, the, part of it included the fact that Baal and Asherah, Asherah were supposedly involved in a, an immoral type relationship. That's the way these two goddesses work. And so the whole idea of Baal worship and the whole idea of the Asherah poles that were set up around Israel were all around sensuality. There were temple prostitutes, male and female. Children were born and then sacrificed to these gods. There was all sorts of wickedness that took place because of these goddesses. These, these, this, this pluralism that was allowed to take place in Israel. And into this scene steps a man by the name of, Jeze of, of Elijah. And uh, Elijah, over and over again, you will hear this little phrase that is really important. It's called a phrase, I, 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 one of my pastor friends says it's his favorite phrase in all of the Bible. And you, you'll, you'll learn it, you'll, you'll remember it. It came to pass. It came to pass. That's the idea of the brevity of life. You remember, you notice everything in life has come to pass. The older you get, the more you realize how fast it's passing. You know, Pastor talks about what happened in this week. He said, I don't even know. I had a week it went. I don't know where it came from. And it just keeps going. And I think the older I get, it seems like the years go faster and faster. These girls are getting ready to go to college. They're going to think those four years of college are going to be the longest four years of their lives while they're in it, studying trying to figure out what they're going to do, trying to chase off the boys and all the other things that they're going to do. But then they're going to get to the end of those four years and go, wow, those things went fast because it came to pass. It's a phrase we see over and over again in the life of Elijah. You know, as long as we recognize that life has come to pass and we're preparing for eternity, we realize that the things that we go through in this life really should not get us down.
should not get us discouraged. It should not slow us down. And because we know life is short, we should get very busy about investing the minutes and the seconds and the days and the hours that we have. A pastor, Matt Recker, gave a little story about a soldier, who a Greek soldier who was very brave in battle. And he won all sorts of ex- uh, awards for his exploits in battle because he thought he had an illness that was going to kill him at a very young age. And he said, if I'm going to die anyway, I might as well go out in big style. And he went out and he fought the battles and he was fearless in the battles. And then the king was so impressed with this young man, he got him the best doctors in all of the land. And the doctors worked with this soldier and the doctors healed this soldier and the doctors told him, oh, now you're going to live a long life. And you know what? He became a terrible soldier because then he was worried about preserving his life. You know, if you and I are working all of our life, our goal is to preserve our life. You and I are going to be terrible Christians. You and I are going to be terrible servants of the Lord. Our life is to be used for the glory of the Lord to prepare for eternity. To take as many people as we possibly can with us into eternity and to meet the Lord in heaven. That's what we're trying to do. Rescue the lost and help people along in their Christian walk. Look at this phrase. If, you, if you're in your notes, I'm on the bottom of page 3 if you want to follow along here. The, the phrase, it came to pass in the life of Elijah. 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 7, it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up. We're going to get to that because there had been no rain in the land. 1 Kings 17, 17, and it came to pass after these things that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, fell sick. We're going to get to that. And his sickness was so sore that there was no breath left in him. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 1, And it came to pass, after many days, that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, show thyself unto Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. Next page, number 4, 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 17, And it came to pass, when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said to him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 27. And it came to pass at noon that Elijah mocked them. This is when he was in that, in that contest with the prophets of Baal and the prophets of the Asherah poles. Um, and, and then you go to 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 29. And it came to pass when midday was passed, they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, that there was neither voice nor any to answer nor any that regarded 1 Kings 18.36, it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near, and then he prayed, and the fire came down. It all happens. It came to pass. One thing followed after the other. One thing followed after the other. One, that's the way our life is. We get through Sunday, then it's Monday, then it's Tuesday, and life just keeps on rolling on. It comes to pass. It's very important that we realize the brevity of this life because one day we're going to get to the end of it. It is important that we learn that life has come to pass. Now there's a picture down here in the bottom of page number, uh, I think it's number four, that you don't ever want to think about. Huh? We don't want to think about it very much. There's a big stone there. And whose name is on that? Read it out loud. Say it to me. Every man, every man's name is going to be on that big stone one day. The only real estate my wife and I own is in a little graveyard over in Watsika, Illinois. 
we drove by it when we were back home for Christmas time, and I saw it from a distance. I said, well, one day I'll get over there. But for now, but, but we drove through there, and there were all these kinds of little tombstones all over the place, some bigger than others. But there, uh, every single one of them had, had two numbers or two dates and a little dash in between them, right? The date of when someone is born and the date when someone goes into eternity, dies. Your life is the little dash in between those two dates. We need to understand that. Our life is very, very brief. Now, some people die as stillborns. Some people die before they even leave their mother's womb. I read, as I was reading and preparing for this, about a man who was in his middle-aged man, in good health, playing basketball. He jumped up for a rebound, had a heart attack in the air, and died before he hit the ground. And then there are other people... You read, read recently on the news about a, a World War II veteran who died in over 100 and, I don't know, 113 years old, I think it was, or something like that. Very old. But what is 100 years in the light of eternity? It's really short. It's a little notation in a history book, if you make it. That's all it is. So we need to use what we have for the Lord. Elijah grasped this concept. And he got busy about the things of the Lord. Some other verses in that, in that on page 4 there. James chapter 4 verse 14. What is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and vanisheth away. Think of the smoke that comes up out of your coffee cup or your tea cup in the morning. That's the idea. Doesn't show up long. Psalm 102, verse 3, my days are consumed like smoke. Job chapter 7, verses 6 through 9, my days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle. My life is wind. Mine eye shall see no more good. The eye of him that has seen me shall see me no more. Thine eyes are upon me, and I am not. As the cloud is consumed and vanished away, so he that goeth down to the grave shall come up no more. Psalm chapter 39, verses 4 and 5, Lord... Make me to know mine end and the measure of my days, that dash, what it is, that I may know how frail I am. Behold, thou hast made my days as in hand breadth. A hand, hand, hold up your hand. Your life is like that, a hand breadth. And mine age is nothing before thee. Next page. Psalm 144, verses 3 and 4. Lord. What is man that thou takest knowledge of him, or the son of man that thou makest account of him? Man is like to vanity. His days are as a shadow that passeth away. I like what Matt Recker said in his book. He said, if you take the word life, L-I-F-E, the two center words are I-F, which spells if, which should be a good reminder to us that life is iffy. We don't know how long we're going to be here. So we've got to make our mark for eternity while we can. Uh, there's another quote on the, in the middle of page 5 by my friend Rand Hummel, who's going to be with us for the uh, Northern California FBF meeting in March. He says, what we, we must do what we can while we can. And Elijah grasped that concept. He got very busy about it. Now, we've got to be careful, because if not, we can become like Solomon did. 
Solomon, you remember when he started thinking in his own mind, Solomon wrote three books. He wrote the book of Song of Solomon that talked about his love life with the one wife that he loved. Talked about the book of Proverbs, which when he was walking with the Lord, he wrote many of the Proverbs. And then he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes when he got wealthy and got his head turned around. And he started thinking about life as though just life is just what's here. What he could see, what he could touch, what he could smell, what he could experience in life. And the book of Ecclesiastes is all about all the experiences Solomon had. He had zoos, he had money, he had wealth, he had fame, he had wisdom, he had libraries, he had servants, he had workers, he had all these things. uh, International trade, all kinds of things going on. But it was all about this life. And his description of it is found in Ecclesiastes where it says, Vanity of vanities, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Ecclesiastes chapter 1. And he goes on and lists some things. So, now, your mindset towards this idea of the brevity of life is very important. You can say life is short, so it doesn't matter how I live it, so I'm just going to do what I want, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. And you will waste your life. And you will waste it rather than invest it. And then you're going to step into eternity and you're going to find you lost it all. But if you understand that life is short and instead of wasting it or spending it, you invest it in eternal things, you send rewards on to what we've talked about before, that great white, that, that, uh, that, that, that Bema seat, the, the judgment seat of Christ where the gold, silver, precious stones are waiting for us. And the things, the opportunities that we have to rule in the Lord's kingdom in eternity. We talked about this. Very important that you understand. Life is short. Invest it for the Lord. Eternity looms. I mean, it's hanging over our heads. It is there. And we do not know when we will face it. What was the name of this actor, 65 years old, who died in a hotel room this week? Bob Bob Sackett, right. I'm, I, I want to call it Bob somebody else. I keep wanting to get him mixed up with the guy who comes and does our books once in a while, and that's not the guy. But uh, Bob Sackett, he had the world somewhat by the tail as far as the world concerned. He was famous. He was an actor. He was beloved by many, a comedian. Some of it not so good. Some of it very good. He had a family. He was getting ready to go out and travel the world and make people laugh, and he was enjoying life. And some of the last comments he made, even on the phone, was to his daughter, I love you, I'll see you soon. And then a hotel worker walks into his room because he hadn't checked out when he was supposed to, and they found that he was laying there, had gone into eternity. Totally unexpected. Life is a vapor invested for eternity. Eternity looms. What we must, what we must do, what must we, we must do what we can while we can. If you knew that today was your last day, would you pray differently? There's some questions there on the bottom of page five. Would you pray differently? Uh, How would you treat your spouse or your children? How would you express your love to others? Who would you speak to about the Lord? Would you be bolder in your witness if you knew today was your last day? How would you spend your money? What would you do differently than you've done today? One of the most powerful messages my brother Paul preached before he went to heaven 
was called Living in the Light of Eternity. You can down and download it from Sermon Audio and listen to it. He preached it at the church I was pastoring in New England. And he knew that he was dying from cancer. And he said, you know what? I don't go out and buy extra shoes anymore. I don't buy extra clothes. Who are these things going to go to? Who are these things going to belong to? I don't really need these things. But I do want to make sure that I make an impact on the lives of people around me. And he did. And he did. He still does today. Now, so, to go to page six. From the, from the moment that Elijah steps on the scene, he is constantly in action. He would have been kind of one of the first action figures, I think, the way he moved around. He steps out of nowhere, dressed in all this weird-looking clothing, uh, camel's hair, I think, and, and he was rough, from the mountains outside of Gilgal. On the map there on page 5 or 6, you see the, the circle of where he lived and died, all within about a 20-mile radius. He lived and died 20 miles away from where he was born. He was born in Tishba, in the center of the map. And just below that, you see, that's where he went into heaven when the Lord sent the chariots of fire to come get him. But his life was not about that little red circle. Because he served the Lord, he went all over that land. You can look at the map and you can see up to the north, Zarephath, which is near Sidon, where Jezebel came from, by the way. And that's where he spent some time with a widow. We're going to talk about that a little later. You can go to the bottom of that map and you see there's a line and, and an arrow that goes even off the map where he heads down to the south to Mount Horeb. He was in the east and he was in the west. He was all over the place because he was investing his life for the cause of God and he wanted to be used by the Lord. Top of page 6, 1 Kings chapter 17, 1 through 5. Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said to Ahab, this is the first time we ever hear this man, as the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word, and the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, get thee hence and turn thee eastward and hide thyself by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan, and you can check the map out and find out where all these places are. And it came to pass that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. That's how Elijah lived in the light of eternity. That's how Elijah lived investing his life. He did according to the word of the Lord. Now again, he's born in Tishba. He goes about 30 miles to the west, or 20 to 30 miles to the west, and goes to... Um, Samaria, and that is where he meets Ahab, and, and all of Ahab's troubles uh, begin with Elijah. Then God tells him to go to the brook. And you can see where over and over again, Elijah runs to where God tells him to go, and sometimes he has to wait where God tells him to wait, and then God says, run someplace else, and off he goes somewhere else. He's investing his life. You know, I know some Christians who are very, very busy constantly. It's very hard sometimes not to be the kind of Christian who is always running from this thing to the other thing to the other thing. We want to be careful, even in the church schedule, that we don't run people so fast and so hard that they don't have time to relax and rest in the Lord. Elijah needed that time. And, uh, and he found that time in the will of God. Okay? Now... Again, what's Elijah's name means? It means El-Jah. I kind of ties them together. 
El means Elohim or God. Jah is Jehovah or Lord. So Elijah means the Lord is God. My God is Jehovah. I'm going to do whatever my God says. That's basically what his life is. That's a good name. It's a good name that we need to live by whether that's our name or not. But Elijah trusted God and he did exactly what God told him to do. He was the mouthpiece for deity in the days of King Ahab. Go to page 7 in the notes here. Elijah lived in the light of eternity, recognizing that his life was short by keeping his focus on who God was and what God's will is. Psalm 16, verses 8 and 9 describes the mindset, though this wasn't written by Elijah. He says, I have set the Lord always before me. I set the Lord. I purposely put the Lord there in front of me. This is why every day you should have, I would say it would be a good idea to spend 15 minutes in prayer. 15 minutes in the Bible, 15 minutes talking to somebody about the Lord, at the, at the very minimum. That will help you to set your mind on the Lord. David said, I have set, my, set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. God's always there whether I set my mind there or not. And I shall not be moved. I've made up my mind. I'm going to keep my mind on the Lord. Therefore, what happens? My heart is glad and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope. Again, this is why you need your Bible. This is why you need to read it. This is why you need to study it. Are you prone to discouragement? Rest in the Lord. Keep the Lord always before you. All right, so Elijah lived his life this way. And we've got a whole list of things that Elijah did while he was living in the light of eternity, recognizing the brevity of life. Number one, you see that in the first number on page number seven. Elijah walked 30 miles to the west, southwest from his birthplace to Samaria to confront Ahab. And I've measured all these things out on the map for you. Uh, he went west, southwest to Samaria to confront Ahab with the announcement that it would not rain in Israel until God sent word that it would happen. Number two, after he leaves there, God says, okay, go to the brook and wait for me there. Number two, Elijah walked 30 to 40 miles east or northeast to the brook Cherith where he waited. And the Lord provided water there from the brook and he provided food that ravens brought to him. I don't know if I'd want to eat like that, but he did. And the, the birds brought him what he needed. Can you imagine a, a seagull coming and dropping something off that, for you to eat? I don't know if I could do that or not. But they did it with the, with the raven. This is what God told him to do. And he just did what God said. And that was the way God miraculously cared for his servant who was walking in his will. Thirdly, when the brook dried up, God sent Elijah 70 miles. Again, how many of you walked 70 miles today? Not many of us. Elijah walked 70 miles northwest to Zarephath, where a starving widow is commissioned to take care of him. And if, you're, if you've read the story, and, and we will at some point, he gets up there to meet this woman and... And he says, fix me a little something to eat. And she says, well, I've just gathered enough to feed my son and me, and we're going to eat it, and we're going to die. He says, well, fix me something first. Can you imagine that? But he was doing the will of God, and because the woman obeyed, not only did Elijah get fed, she got fed, her son got fed, and the Lord took care of them for many days. Amazing. What happens when we live in the light of God, when we live in the idea that God's going to take care of us, recognizing that life is brief, but God can extend it. Number four, when the widow woman's son died, he got sick. He had a fever, I think, and then he died. 
And the woman went to him and said, what's going on? And God gave Elijah the ability to bring life back to this little boy. And they were able to praise the Lord together. Then you get to number five. Um, Number five talks about the brevity. uh, It talks about the time that Elijah had between the time he first met Ahab and the second time he met Ahab. If you read in Luke chapter 4 and you read in James chapter 5, and we're running out of time, so we're going to run through this quickly. He basically says it was three and a half years. So for three and a half years, Elijah is trusting the Lord. He's eating at a brook till it dries up. He's living at the hand of a widow with a miraculous provision, trusting the Lord. And God took care of him all of this time. We don't always believe and trust God. But Elijah is an example of one who shows us that it is possible. Down at number six on page seven, we see finally after those three and a half years of famine and the brooks drying up and the ravens stopping and the, and the widow's meal drying up, God sends Elijah down to see Ahab one more time. And he travels now from Zarephath to Samaria 80 miles, constantly walking to these different places where God tells him to, doing exactly what God wants him to do to invest his life. And when he gets down there, he runs into a man named Obadiah who has been protecting a hundred prophets from the attack of Jezebel. Jezebel has been sending armies out looking for Elijah ever since he started this. And she's been trying to get him, and God has protected him. I think it's really funny that he protected him at Zarephath, just maybe 10 or 15 miles from Jezebel's hometown. Pretty, pretty amazing. And, uh, and, and God protected him. Obadiah hid 100 prophets from the wrath of Jezebel. First Kings chapter 18 talks about that. And then Elijah and Ahab meet the second time, and Ahab calls Elijah the one who troubles Israel. And Elijah reminds him, no, I am doing the will of God. You are not doing the will of God. I'm living with God in mind. You are trying to ignore God. You're promoting all this pluralism. I'm promoting the one true God. I'm going to tell you who's causing the trouble here in Israel. And it's not me. It's you. And those two men, Elijah and Ahab, set up a contest. You know that story. How they go up now, another place, 40 miles to the northwest of Samaria, up a mountain to meet with 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah. So it's Elijah versus 850 false prophets and the nation of Israel is called out by the king to come and observe the contest between this one man who lives in the light of eternity, who recognizes the brevity of life, who says, I'm going to spend my life for God. Versus the 850 who said, I'm going to live for this life and the sensuality of my religion, my own way, my own way of living, my own pleasure, my own enjoyment. Next page, page number eight. They meet atop Mount Carmel. The nation is confronted. The 850 prophets get their opportunity. And Elijah steps to those people and says, How long will you halt between or hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. Invest your life in the things of God. 
But if Baal, follow him. And the people hadn't made up their minds yet. I think the majority of people in our city and the majority of the people in our world just haven't made up their mind yet. There's a lot of people who want to say, well, let me see what happens when I get to my deathbed and then I'll decide. And you may not get to a deathbed like Bob who went straight into heaven from a hotel bed. Unexpected. Well, number nine, you see the false prophets, they could not get their God to respond. They cut themselves, they danced around, they did their gyrations, they did all of their things, they tried to scream and holler, and that Baal God, who supposedly holds the lightning and controls the rain, didn't produce anything. And the Asherah God couldn't produce anything. And so finally, after a full day, I love what, he, what Elijah does. He said, pour, bu- pour buckets or barrels of water on top of my sacrifice. Barrels of water. I was talking with, a, with somebody else on a Wednesday night, or on a night after I mentioned this thing about Elijah. And he says, you know what's good about that is that all that water protected all those people who were watching this thing when God set the fire down. Because it, it kind of held all the fire right there at the altar. It makes good sense. Makes good sense. I don't know if it was a meteor God sent. I don't know if it was a lightning bolt God sent. All I know is fire fell, and everybody knew it was because of the quiet prayer of a man who lived in the light of eternity and trusted his God and knew life was short and says, I'm going to invest my life for the Lord. And then number 10, I love it, after this. Elijah looks at Ahab and says, you better get in your chariot. You better get down this mountain. It's going to rain, and it's going to come down in buckets full. You remember he looked out there and all he saw was a little fist of a cloud? And Elijah said, that's enough. God's sending the rain. And then God gave Elijah some strength because he trusted him. And Elijah ran ahead of Ahab's chariot. You can read about this in 1 Kings chapter 18. He ran to the southwest, or to the southeast, south of Mount Carmel, to a town called Jezreel. And there, that was 30 miles down the mountain. And Elijah beat the chariot. This guy must have been, he'd have won the beta breakers race, wouldn't he? He, he was quite the runner. And off, and off he went in the strength of the Lord. Because he walked, in the, walked with, with eternity's values in view. Now, then, after all of this, finally we see Elijah discouraged. He had been trusting God. He'd seen great miracles. He'd seen great provision. He'd seen all these things. And as long as he'd kept his eyes on the Lord, he was okay. But at Jezreel, he heard Jezebel. I'm going to get that guy. And I'm not going to stop till I get that guy. She'd been chasing him for three and a half years and hadn't got him. But she still thinks he's going to get him. And, and, and Elijah gets his idea that she maybe will get me this time. I'm tired. I'm hungry. I'm weary. I've worked really hard. And she's still after me. He got his eyes off the Lord. He got his eyes on a sinful woman who was after him. First Kings chapter 19, verses 1 and 2, right there in the middle of page uh, number 8. Now Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me, and even more, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. 
And a mighty Elijah finally experienced fear for the first time in his life. You know, that's what fear is for us as believers. We get our eyes off of eternity and we get our eyes on our circumstances. This is why some people right now are living in great fear because of this disease that's going through our land. It's because we got our eyes off the Lord and we got our, and got our eyes on the illness. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't take precautions. We should. We should. But we cannot live in fear as long as we understand that our life can be extended as long as God wants it to be extended and shortened as soon as God's done with us. Our life belongs to him. Elijah trusted the Lord, and when he stopped trusting the Lord, he started worrying about it. Until then, he'd been like that mighty soldier of Greece who said, I'm only going to live so long, I might as well give it all I've got for the Lord. This is the way we need to live our lives, giving our best for him. In 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 3 and 4, bottom of page number 8, Elijah was afraid and arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. And left his servants there. Beersheba was 120 miles south of Jezreel. He was really scared. He'd run a long time. Verse 4. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die. Suicidal thoughts came in to even this great prophet of God. And said, it is enough now, O Lord. Take my life, for I am not better than my father's. He got his eyes on the world instead of eternity. Next page, number 12. God did not give up on him. And if you are discouraged, I want you to know that God has not given up on you. He's given you uh, a church that loves you. He's given you his word to encourage you. He's given you the Holy Spirit within you to remind you of his presence. He's given you everything you need to be encouraged. God sent an angel there in... uh, 1 Kings chapter 19 to encourage Elijah. He gave him something to eat. He said, rest a while. Go off to a place. Get some rest. Get your focus back where you need to be. So if you are discouraged, this is why. This is why. When you are discouraged, you don't run from church. You run to church. You don't run from your Bible. You run to your Bible. You don't run from God. You run to God in prayer. And when you do, you'll find the courage and the encouragement that you need to continue. God sent a still small voice there to to, uh, Elijah. Verse 13 of 1 Kings chapter 19 said, And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And it was as if he was saying, Okay, Lord, I'm ready to see you again. I'm ready to give my life to you again. And when you get discouraged, that's what you need to do. Go back to the Lord. Find the encouragement that you need. In the middle of page 9, it says there, God may not send us an angel or a still small voice, but he has provided a comforter for us to help us remember to live in the light of eternity as we look into God's word. John chapter 14 talks about that comforter that Jesus Christ was going to give to us. It's a wonderful thing. Open your Bible, ask God to guide you, and the comforter will be your teacher to show you words that you need to hear from his word. And you can go on living in the light of eternity. Bottom of page number nine, and we're out of time. Let's just look at this really quickly. 
James chapter 4, verses 13 and 17, 13 to 17 says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while and vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. That's what Elijah did when he was being used of God. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. Elijah ran because he got his eyes off the Lord. And he needed revival to get back in the ways of the Lord. Perhaps that's where you are tonight. Let me encourage you to determine to live in the light of eternity, remembering life is short, invested in the cause of Christ, invested in the ways of God. Stay focused on the Lord. You will find encouragement that way. And your life will make an impact like Elijah's did. We're going to see more about what Elijah did in the future as he walked with the Lord. Thank the Lord for lessons of encouragement that we can get from the life of a prophet who lived so long ago when he walked with the Lord. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, thank you for Elijah. Thank you for preserving the story of his life in, his, in, your, in your word. Thank you that we can read it and be instructed by it. Help us to be wise enough to learn from it. And help us to use the little dash that you've given us between the date of our birth and the date of our death for your glory and your honor and for eternity. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.